0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. So we are in the story of Ruth. And Ruth is all about redemption. Uh, We went through chapter one last week. And uh, what we saw was that Elimelech and Naomi, uh, they moved away from Bethlehem with their two sons to Moab. Because they heard that the economy and everything that was, you know, better there was doing good. But it, the problem wasn't, uh, you know, the place where they're at. The problem wasn't like the situation. It was, the problem was people's hearts. And so the problem is, is when they went to this other place, Moab, things went really bad. Uh, you know, you ever make a bad decision? Made plenty of them. And so so that when they went to Moab, things went bad. And, and actually Elimelech died. And then his two sons died. And so now you have Naomi and she is alone except for her two daughters-in-laws. And it's been about 10 years since they left Bethlehem. And Naomi was in this place of bondage where she's like, man, my life stinks. She even changed her name. Her name means pleasant or delight. She changed her name to bitter. You know, she said, don't call me pleasant or delightful. Call me Bitter. You know, she was, she's in that place. And so she wasn't going to let her story story define her though, even though she felt like that. So she and her daughter-in-law Ruth said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to where God's moving. Like, let's go to where God's doing something and and let's, let's be there. And so they say they do that by faith, but you guys, it's not going that well. And we're going to see that they go, but when they show up, it's still not going that well. Where we ended up last week was this verse, um, chapter one, verse 22, It says, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So it's not going to start to go well, but there's all the hope in the world. Late spring in the barley harvest was The time, the time to be alive. It's good as long as there's a harvest and there is and they show up at this time. And so, so it was the time of, uh, Passover and unleavened bread, Passover celebrating how, uh, God passed over the nation of Israel and, and, uh, and because they had the blood of the lamb written on their homes, the Jews survived and then, and then unleavened bread because they left in a hurry. They left in a hurry and they celebrated how they didn't have time. They had to get their stuff and go and, and, and they had the exodus where God rescued them from the land. And so at the harvest, the barley harvest, God would always remind them of this time. Uh, The harvest is what we're going to focus on today because that's all throughout this chapter and harvest metaphorically and actual physical harvest is a major theme throughout all scripture. And it's actually something that Jesus uses to teach much about the truths of the kingdom of God. You know, in agrarian societies, which, which most were until the 19th, 20th century, you know, if you had a bad harvest, I mean, life was, it was over. I mean, like, it was just, that was the worst possible thing that could happen is if you had a bad harvest. And, and you could have bad harvest for fire. You could have bad harvest if, if it rained too much. Um, you know, during a certain time of, of the growth or during the harvest and all sorts of things could happen. And so, uh, uh, the, the Israelite people were prone to try to worship the gods of the Canaanites because they had these fertility gods, Baal and others that, that if they just said, well, if you just kind of like play, play ball with this God, they'll bless the harvest. The problem was, is that Baal was a false God. And the true God, Yahweh, we see in Genesis with Joseph and others, Yahweh is the one in in charge of the harvest, the one that created everything, not some impersonal God, right? Because these gods weren't personal. Whereas God said, look, you have to be in relationship with me. Yeah. And the harvest may go bad if, if, if you're not in right relationship with me, but if you are in right relationship, I'll bless you and take care of you. And so we know that God, the one that created everything is, is really the true one of the harvest. Now in the new Testament, Jesus talks about harvest all the time, relating to his kingdom, relating to our lives. Paul does a really good summary of, I think the things that Jesus was trying to teach in the New Testament, when he teaches, uh, when Paul writes in Galatians, he wrote to people like us. They were Gentiles uh, and and they were people that were trying to get to know God. They're trying to figure things out. and uh, And so this is what he wrote to them. He said, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature but those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And so this is the law of the harvest. It's a principle that is timeless It's a principle that you can't change and you can't fight against it. It always will work. If you're sowing negative, it'll work against you. If you're sowing positive, it'll work for you. If you're sowing the things of God, it'll bless you. If you're sowing the things of man or Satan, it'll come after you and wreck your life. It's just a law that God set. And it doesn't happen in huge moments. That's the thing where we get confused it happens in these small little compounding moments of our lives is that, you know, how does someone get a good marriage? Well, it's not in major events Well, we had the wedding, you know, most, a lot of guys say, well, I did the wedding, you know, it's good, right? No, it's, it's, it's these little moments, day by day, loving each other, choosing to forgive, choosing to build life. How do you build a good relationship with your child if you're a parent? Well, it's these small moments over time, these small deposits over time. It's not these big, huge moments. Well, you know, I, I took them to Disneyland, you know, and, and 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 everything's good because of that. No, it's these relationships you build over time. So it is with God. If we want a good relationship with God, well, We build it little by little over time. We have big moments where God does stuff, but it's these little by little compounding effects over our lives. And that's how the harvest comes. You know, the same thing is, is is like, it says, like, don't tire in doing good for in due time, you'll reap a harvest. Like what a word for our day. You know, some of you guys, you know, as far as like through the pandemic and in life, you know, you've, you've been planting seed and watering, planting seed and watering, planting seed and watering. And you have to remember, you're a farmer in every area of your life. And if you've been planting seed and watering, you will get a harvest. But it says you reap what only you sow. So it's not a question of, you know, am I going to get something? It's like, what am I going to get? And so if you've been, if you've been planting good seed, you're going to get a good harvest. If you've been doing other stuff, and it's not because God doesn't like you or you're a bad person or whatever. It's, it's because that's what you've been planting. And I, you guys get tired of me saying it probably, but you know, out here they plant two things. They plant soybeans and they plant corn. When they plant soybeans, they don't get corn. When they plant corn, they don't get soybeans. They get what they plant. And so that's what we're looking at today. And, and I'm talking about like normal things, like kind of just everyday things. I mean, you can apply this to your business. If you're a salesperson, you know, plant, seed, water, you'll get a harvest. Uh, you know, I mean, you can, you can apply it to anything that you do. Uh, you can apply it to physical fitness. You know, it, it, no, if you go to the gym once a year, it's not going to give you the perfect body. It's just not going to happen. Right. But if you go consistently and you do that, and you know, then over time you'll build that. And so that's basic stuff though. And I, I know that you guys want more than that because we, we long for the transcendent. We long for the thing that breaks over the mundane. We long to be building something bigger than just those things in our lives. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at actually building a life that's transcendent, that actually there's a harvest that doesn't just last for a bit of time, but it actually lasts for generations and generations. You know, I, I was thinking, uh, just this last week, um, you know, my, 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 uh, my great grandmother, uh, out here in Green City, Missouri, uh, you know, where my grandfather grew up, uh, she was a Christian. But then my, my grandfather, uh, didn't really follow Jesus until, um, until he was in his seventies. And I was able to be a part of that, leading him to Jesus, right? So be encouraged. God works backwards too. You know, he doesn't always work in a straight line. He can work all sorts of ways, you know, but, um, but I, I got excited because there was people that followed Jesus in my family, but then God jumped into my brothers and I's lives and we've been able to lead a bunch of our family members to Jesus. But then I, I got excited. I said, "Wow! Like my boys and, and my my brother's children, and, and all these people. Like, wow! This is going to ripple throughout." It, but then I, I sat back. I'm like, "Wow! Like how I live and what I do, and how I pour into these kids. Like it really matters because it's going to ripple throughout time. Like my great grandmother, she didn't see her son walk closely with Jesus. She didn't see my dad, her grandson, walk closely with Jesus. But she prayed." And she put seeds in and it happened, right? But she never saw it with her own eyes. And so what we do matters and that's the transcendent stuff. So let's dive into Ruth chapter two, verse one, take a look at it. So it says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So Boaz means strength. It means like this, just this, this great strength. And you notice that it says that he was a uh, wealthy and influential man, uh, different ways that you can translate this. It can be like, he was a mighty man of war, or he's a mighty man of wealth or a mighty man of substance. Uh, the, the new international version of the Bible actually, uh, actually speaks of it. It translates it, a man of standing. I, I like that that he was a mighty man of standing. You know, I I don't know any man in here or in this whole place that wouldn't want to be called a man of standing. Or I, I don't know a woman in here that wouldn't want to say that she was the daughter of or the wife of or the sister of a man of standing. And yet, again, we think that that comes with like these big, huge moments. And yet it actually could come through like military prowess or some great victory. And for some, this this place of man of standing came. But I think that it speaks more of a consistent character. It speaks of this small deposits over time of, of living in such a way that I'm focused more on others than myself, that I have integrity in my dealings and what I do. And it's just these compounding small deposits over a period of time this consistent character. I think that's what Boaz was like. And Boaz continued the sowing of his great, great grandmother. See, his great, great grandmother, if you read back in Joshua chapter two through six, you read about a woman named Rahab. And Rahab was, the Bible says it over and over again, like have like your worst sin, like be define you, the harlot Rahab. She was a prostitute. So over and over again, all throughout the Bible, it doesn't say Rahab. It says the harlot Rahab, the prostitute Rahab. And you're like, oh, hey, you know, can I just get rid of this thing? Can I get rid of my worst time, my worst day? But Rahab was a part of the city of Jericho. And Jericho is what where the Israelites chose to start their battle of overcoming the the people that were in the land as they came into the promised land. And you, you may know the story. They walked around for seven days and then they walked around and then the walls fell. Well, Rahab was spoken to by a couple of the spies and she hid them when they were searching for them. And they told her and said, look, when we come back to take the city, you will be saved only if you have all of your family with you and you hang this scarlet cord outside of your window, and we will know that that's the place that you're safe. And, and you just look at that. Wow. You see the, the lamb with the blood that is on the house and the, the, you know, right? The, the, um, the death will pass over those people. And then you see Rahab, the, the red scarlet cord that, that death will not come near the house because of the scarlet cord. And then you fast forward it and read the, the genealogy in Matthew of Jesus and you say, whoa. It's the blood of Jesus that covers sin. It's, it's the blood of Jesus. And you just see all of this foreshadowing of that. So Rahab, she did exactly that. She put the cord out. But what's crazy is that scientists think that there was an earthquake when they when they shouted as they marched around the city. But the earthquake came in such a way that the north side of the wall of the city is the only portion that didn't fall. And archaeologists, as they walk through this, there's been four or five different major archaeological digs in that area, city of Jericho, in the last hundred years or so, and they've confirmed that the north part of the wall, there was homes up against the wall, and so it didn't fall. Right where we think probably Rahab lived, and so Rahab, by faith, pushed away her gods and her people. What was going on, and followed Israel's God, and then she was amongst the people for all this time, and her great great grandson is. Boaz. And so what you do, what you sow in makes a difference. It sets the tone for the next generations. People will live off of it. You may think what you do every day doesn't matter. It does because you're making a small deposit in the future of the future generations. So in verse 2, it says one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it." Naomi replied, "All right, my daughter, go ahead." All right. So, so Ruth and Naomi are in a bad spot. How do I know? Listen, Bethlehem wasn't a huge city. It wasn't a huge place. And so even in the time of Jesus, it was it was a smaller place. It it wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't densely populated. It was pretty sparse. And so, it was only also 10 years since Naomi left there. And they had relatives there and friends there. And they go back into town. And we read last week that they welcome them like, is this Naomi? Wow. And she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me bitter. You know, so maybe maybe they didn't want to be around her because she has a bad attitude. I don't know. But they're just like, man, I can't hang out with her. But you guys, it's a small place. But the fact that they are having to go out and glean in the fields tells you they may be homeless. Like it's a small enough place and people would have had room that they probably would have said like, hey, you stay with me for a month. You stay with them for a month. You stay with us. But, and they could have helped set them up, but that's not what was happening here. They're in a really bad spot. And so they would have, they would have had no money or food. And they needed to go do something. And so Ruth and Naomi were operating uh, by faith. And, and it's really a time of, uh, of scarcity. And so, so I ask you, what do you do when things go wrong? Like, what do you do when it goes bad? What do you do when you get a no? Like when you get a no and you think, it, like, what do you do? You know, maybe, I mean, do you blame God? Do you blame others? Do you blame yourself? Like, like, wh- where does your attention go? Where does it flow? Ruth is willing to do anything. She says, let me go out into the harvest fields. I'm going to go out. She's thinking that there's possibilities. She's thinking that there's the providence of God. Like she's a newcomer to faith in, in, in God. And yet she's saying, you know what? I think God's here. He's working. I think there's something here for me. So she goes out and she's determined and she's going to sow seed. She's following this, this sowing seed to get a harvest. She's using humility. She's using industry. She's saying like, I'm going to help make something happen. And then also dependence upon God that she will find favor. She's like, maybe this will happen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the coast, West coast. And, and, uh, so from the time started when I was 11, uh, I've surfed, you know, my whole life since then. And, uh, you know, with surfing, um, you can't make the wave. You, you literally cannot create the wave. You know, it may look like it. You watch some of these people surf and, and just like, it's just like, wow, it looks so effortless. And it's almost like they, they made the wave, but in surfing, it's important to know you can't create the wave. All you can do is you can catch it you can catch the wave. And so you position yourself to catch the wave. And so that's what Ruth is doing. She's saying, maybe there's a wave coming. Maybe I can position myself for this. So uh, this, what she was about to do is actually part of their society. It was actually part of the social system to take care of the problem of people being poor and homeless and not having enough. They would actually leave 30% of the field for people that were hungry and poor. How cool is that? So the harvest is coming, but they're leaving 30% of the field. It was actually in the Mosaic law that they would leave that for people to come up behind and pick up what was dropped in there. Uh, In vineyards, if you would pick the grapes, you wouldn't go back a second time to to get all the grapes. You'd kind of go through, or grapes that were dropped on the ground. So if you drop grapes on the ground, you're harvesting grapes, you'd leave those. Why? For the poor for the poor to come and get those. And so, so Ruth is learning this system that's set up for that. Um, But it was made for strangers and immigrants and the poor, you know, so Ruth was both. And it's so humble. I mean, she's going into the field of a neighbor, again, small, small town. She's going out there. It would have been probably a humiliating thing of just just going out there and doing that. And yet she did. So in verse three, it says, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So as it happened, speaks of like this, it's, it's saying, oh, just somehow, just somehow she ended up in Boaz's field. Other versions say, um, you know, almost say that like she intentionally went there. I don't think so. Uh, She's new to town. I think she just went out to do it and she ended up there and providentially she ended up in Boaz's field. So this very small thing that she does, this small step is how God works. And by her gleaning and humbling herself, she actually now becomes a part of the line of Christ. This foreigner again, and she foreshadows that God would include all people throughout the earth to come into his kingdom. Just this humble act, God does this major thing. And that's what's so deceiving, you guys, is that the things that we choose every day, the things that we decide to do or don't do, they do. They ripple all throughout time. Like God's kingdom is invading time and space and working in time and space. And he's changing all of history. Ruth didn't think they're like, oh, this is going to be something big. This is going to be really big. I'm going to go out in the field. No, she just wanted to eat. But because she put in her in and her heart was right, put herself in a place, God worked through this little thing. I wonder what little things you're choosing to do or not to do right now that will compound throughout history and join God's kingdom. And, you know, so the wave is coming and Ruth is in the perfect position to catch it. Perfect position. There's nothing worse, by the way, if you're ever surfing than being out of position watching all kinds of other people just catch waves. And and that's how you are. If you're a surfer in Kansas, you know, cause you go home a few times a year and you know, you get the board out from your in-laws house and you head out there and you don't tell anybody that you you live in Kansas, you know, but, um but you go out there and, and you, you're not used to it. But then by the end of the trip, you kind of get in the right position. You figure it out again. But Ruth, she's not, she may have watched people her whole life catch the waves and she didn't catch them. But right now, providentially, she's ready to catch the wave. God's going to do a big thing. So verse four, it says, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Is your workplace like this? Like when you, when your boss walks into the job, or if you're the boss, do you walk in the Lord bless you, you know, and, or, and they yell, the, you know, the Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. Um, <clears throat> not really. Right. Um, a lot of places aren't like that, but look at this workplace. Like they were in it together. They had God at the center of, of, of their work at the center of their enterprise. They had a mutual dependence upon God. It, it, I don't think it was just speak. I think that these workers that worked for Boaz were blessed. And here's the key though. They spoke blessing instead of cursing. Right? I, I know one thing, like for whatever it is, I don't know it, other countries as much, but in America, I think sarcasm is like one of our top values, it seems like. Right? Sarcastic. I mean, it, it can be funny and you know, that sort of thing, but it also can just eat at the core of a family. It can eat at the core of a church. It can eat at the core of of a company, of a workplace. That sarcasm. Why? Because when you're sarcastic, you kind of say something like, "Oh, I'm not really saying that to you," but it's this. And but there's always a little truth, right? Like, why would you draw that conclusion if it wasn't really true? And so, what we see here, it's different. Boaz brings something totally different to this. And I, as I was studying through this this week, it was on my mind. And so, <clears throat> my son and I, we went and played golf over here the other day, and. <clears throat> on friday and so uh, i have these plastic tees uh, that like have these brushes on them so the ball sits up higher and i've had it for years and years one of my good friends gave it to me well um one of my sons was hitting and he left it at the last tee box so we're down the way and and i'm sitting like well it's all right i had it for years and years like oh, dad i'll buy you another one no it's not a big deal but inside i'm like man i want that thing and then and then the guy comes up behind us and he starts walking towards me All, like, hey did you find a yellow and he goes I did, and I'm all blessed are you amongst men that God has sent you to me. That's what I say to him, right? But the guy, so the guy's a believer too, and he looks at me, he goes, Yes, i so, you know, and so there was this kind of like this dialogue, the Lord bless you, you know. And then I'm sitting there and I so I like I said like a blessing over him, just, you know, kind of casually, but intentionally not. And so no joke, a few holes later, he comes up to me because we left another one of those little things back there too. <laughs> and, you know, so he brought it up he goes, hey, here's the other one. And he goes, hey, a testimony. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that hole after I picked up your tea there, I birdied that thing, you know? And it was just, and you you can sit there and say, whatever. I say, no. It's the blessing, it's the encouraging, it's the speaking. How could our lives and our homes and and workplaces be different if if we spoke that way? So in verse five, it says, then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. And so um, it wasn't the outward appearance of Ruth that drew Boaz to her. It wasn't the outward appearance uh, that the foreman saw something different about Ruth. It was her inner character and her diligence and, and her hard work that drew her there. We live in a society that is on steroids about the way you look. I mean, it's like you know, back in the '80s or whatever, '90s. It was like you know, uh, she's got the look. You know that song? <laughs> you, yeah, play it later. You know, it's just like, but it's 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 true, right? Like uh, we we you know we seem to be so into beauty, brains, and bucks. Like if you've got those, you're special, and that's what you really need. And in reality, the way it actually works over time. Cause yeah, we do know that people move forward because of all sorts of things and, and get noticed because of these things. But over time and what, what the Bible speaks of is that it's, it's on the inside. Like Michelle has this, my wife, she has this little like a uh, letter thing with channel letters and she puts up different sayings on there. The one up there right now, it says people are like Oreos, the good stuff's on the inside you know? Right. And so, so that's what they see with Ruth. Uh, you know, she was poor and, and she was probably homeless during this time. She had wandered through the desert for, for a couple of weeks or so. And I mean, she was looking shabby, you guys. And yet there was something about her that exuded from her and it just flowed out of her because of her inner character. And she didn't come upon it during that time. She had been building that. You know, and, and you notice where Boaz says, you know, who does she belong or like, who does she belong to? It's not a thing. It's like, who's she connected to? You know, and, and I think that if they put it, she's connected to Jesus. You know, she's connected to God. That's what's coming out of her. And, and I just thought about that. I said, you know, that's a good thing to ask ourselves. Like, if somebody were to look at us, like, who do they belong to? You know, like, who who who's am I? You know, I'm Jesus. Let people know that. And so in verse eight, it says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, uh, stay right here with us when you gather grain, don't go to any other fields, stay right behind the young women working in my field. And so um, land was apportioned by tribe and clan and family. And so you may have a big field like these fields out here and it, and, and it was several different families or clans like they had a portion of that field. And so Boaz is saying, you know, don't do like the other people that are gleaning behind people in, in kind of just flow in between the different clans and families. I want you to double down and I want you to pour in here. I want you to be here, everything you need, everything you're looking for, you'll find abundantly here. See, he's he's vying for her. He's like, I want you to be at my field. I, I, I'm going to make it right for you here. Don't go into any other barriers. Follow my people and you're going to get what you want. And that's what we have to do in life too. Like you find somebody that, that has a good marriage or you find somebody that's a good parent or you find somebody that really knows Jesus or you find somebody that is a good business person or successful at what you want to do. You, you, you connect to them. And he's saying, look, you know, come, come and hang out here. Everything you need is in this place. In verse nine, it says, see which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men, not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. And so God rescues us. Uh, from our past and uses it uh, to love others and serve others. Boaz, what stood out to him was that she was a foreigner. What stood out to him was that she was faithful. What stood out to him was that everything did fall apart. But guess what? His past, he didn't reject it. Because we look at Rahab, wow, she's awesome. What a stud, right? Like in the midst of the walls falling down and everything else, put the red cord out there and bring your family in. I'm going to go all in for God and your people. I know it's the true God. You know, she, even though everybody else denies, she does that. But listen, she was probably a hero amongst the people, but she was probably ridiculed. She's probably looked down upon. She was probably as an outcast as well by some of them. And maybe they said to her face, even worse, oh, you go Rahab, you're great. But behind the back, ah, she's a foreigner or she, you know, she's a Gentile. She's filthy. or She's not really a part of us. She's not right. So that was a part of Boaz's lineage. That was a part of his family. But he doesn't reject that and just, just push that behind in the same way. You know, you may have lived a certain way apart from Jesus, You may have made bad choices in your life, really bad choices, maybe even yesterday. But don't ever, don't ever like, yes, you forget it. Yes, you're forgiven from it. But guess what? God will use it. God will use it because whatever you've gone through, whatever God has rescued you from, your family, you, don't forget it. Because he will use it for you to love and work in other people's lives. That's what we see here. Part of the favor Boaz gives to Ruth is because he, she is from ultimately his family. She's from the place that his family was from. He tells her to drink from the well. And this is the same well that her, her, um, uh, her future great, great, great grandson would, would drink from that well, David, right? I, I long to drink from the well. When he says thirsty, he's thirsty in the Psalms, he longs to drink from there. It's this well in Bethlehem. It's the same well that Jesus would have would have drank water from when he was a little baby. It's this well, that place he says, come and be at this place. But look at the look at the manners and respect that these two show each other. Like we're drawn to this scene. And by the way, if you don't notice yet, there's a romance brewing. There's more than just cordial stuff here. But notice how honoring they are. Notice how kind they are. Notice that the words that they use are respectful and building up and not tearing down and not sarcastic. They see so much value in this person that's in front of them. And then Boaz says, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He's saying, God will care for you. I will care for you. That's what he's saying with this. This term under the wings is all throughout scripture speaks of care and protection. He's saying, you are safe here. You know, be that in your life. Be the safe place for people. Be the safe place, people. Be the protector of people. You don't have to get permission If you're going to be a safe place and a protector, wherever you go, God has given you that ground. If that needs to come into your company or it needs to come into your home or your neighborhood or any place that you set your foot, God has given you that ground as a follower of him. Be the protector, be the safe place for people. That's what Boaz is saying. And then uh, in verse 13, as we finish here, it says, I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. She, I, I, I think she's trying to find out here. I think she's maybe saying, oh, Boaz, <laughs> what's going Because she's saying like, even though I'm not even as high as one of your workers, which is nowhere near in status as him, you've shown kindness. So she's kind of like, do we have a thing going here? What are we, what are we doing here? And so what do you and I do with this? What do we do with this? What do we take? Well, there's three things that I see Boaz and Ruth do when it comes to harvest and sowing. And I think that these are important. The first thing is, sow into a relationship with Jesus. They were sowing into a relationship with God and that's why you see the blessing. They were blessed and then they were a blessing to other people. Sow into a relationship with Jesus. And you say, well, isn't that kind of, Ironic. I mean, this is a church. It's a Christian church. Okay, that's what we're doing here. And I'm saying, you know, parse the middle here. Parse the middle here, and, and get the 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 just the malouge, You know, I don't even know that's a word. Is that that's not even a word? malouge? Isn't that terrible? It's so hard, you guys, to do what I do. I, I, I think of all kinds of words, and I got to say the right ones. But the, the just the junk and the stuff, right? The mud, the mire. Like like, get rid of it so you can see clearly. and this is what I mean. Don't live your spirituality through any person. Like if the main way that you're hearing from God is from somebody like me or from somebody else in your life or somebody you're watching online or whatever, if that's the main way you're hearing from God and if that's the main way that you're deciding what your relationship with Jesus is, stop it. Sow seed with Jesus he made it so that there's no in-between between God and man besides Jesus. There's, there's no other person besides Jesus that you're to link up to. And actually, it's not even this thing. You don't need me or anybody else to tell you how to hear from Jesus. I help you. But what I'm saying is, is get in the word of God and hear from him. Go into the word of God and say, God, speak to me. God, I don't know what I'm going to do unless you speak to me. God, I don't know how I'm going to do my work or lead my company or lead my family unless you speak to me. God, I need to hear from you. Speak to me and go to him in prayer and say, God, I need you. I'm not leaving this place until you come to me and you meet me here. Because guess what? When you do that, no one can take it from you. But if you're, leave, if, you're leave, if you're living off the gleaning of what other people are telling you or seeing, and yes, check it to make sure it matches with right scripture. Check it with people that are mature. But what I'm saying is, is that Jesus died for you so that you would know him. Not that you would know some man or some woman that would then help you like that's how you know him through. I'm simply a helper. And whoever you watch online or go to, whatever, they're simply helpers. But guess what? When you're alone and it's there and God speaks to you, you can live a life off of even just one of those times because God is real. And you've built that relationship. So sew so into that relationship with Jesus because you can live times like Boaz and Ruth. And then uh, sow into a sacrificial life, even though it hurts. The sacrificial life is right here. The principle, they would give away 30% of their field. You know, everything that God's blessed you with, he hasn't blessed you with all just for you to improve your lifestyle, nor me. He's blessed you with it for others. He's blessed you to be a blessing. And so when increase comes, when he pours into your life, when he gives you things, guess what? Say, God, how can I serve other people? When he gives you time or any resource or anything, God, how can this bless other people? So live a sacrificial life, even though it hurts. Because when following Jesus hurts, when you're living that sacrificial life, you got it. You become unshakable. Because you're not thrown off like, well, wait a minute. things won't. No, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to pour in. And then lastly, this so into a culture of honor of others, even though it's different. You know, I, I remember like, I, I went to high school kind of 80, late eighties, early nineties. And that's when um, a lot of movies and stuff. And they had people like, it would be kind of like you, you, you tell like jokes against your friend and mama jokes and all this stuff, or whatever. And, and, um and I tried to do that, but I was terrible at it. So some of my friends and stuff would t- say stuff. And I'm just like, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. You know, just like, I, I I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then when I tried and I did, it was like the first fight I ever got into. My f- friend told me to hit the guy. And so I hit the guy and he's like, oh, he cried. I'm like, dude, are you okay, man? You know? And, and, and so I'm just like, no, like this isn't right. Build a culture of honor, you guys. Build a culture of honor in your home where I'm going to honor this person. I'm going to speak well of this person. I'm going to build up this person. I'm not going to tear them down. Plenty of the world will do that, but build up your spouse, build up your kids, build up the people in your company, even though other people do it. Don't join into it. Build a culture of honor. You see the results here. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.